Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Garabo Murule. I'll be chairing the session, and the session title is The Future of Insurance. What is the future of insurance in this changing world, incorporating the incredible, international incredible, curious adventure, the movie? I have a few announcements before we start. There's a white Mercedes-Benz registration number, Charlie Zulu 21, Romeo Papa, GP, parked in the convention center parking. You have left your car door open. But I think stay for the session, you can just go afterwards, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Then there is the in-app poll. Um, I'm not too sure if you'll be using the polling, so no, no using of the polling. Um, and then the, from the convention app, there will be a prize for the winner of the app leaderboard. So be sure to vote for the speakers after each of the sessions you attend. The points are allocated as follows. Speaker polls will be eight points. A message or a photo in the activity stream will be three points. If you add a comment, it's two points, and if you add a like, it's one point. I'll be formally lodging a grievance because I've been very active on Twitter and not really much on the convention app, so <laughs> for anybody else who's also been using Twitter more so than anything else, I'll ask them to try to start um, offering prizes as well for people who are using Twitter. Um, our presenter today is uh, Peter Temple, who I think is no stranger to the Actuarial Society. Uh, he is the Regional Director for Life and Health in South Africa, UK and Ireland for GenRe. Uh, the session would, should be about 45 to 50 minutes and then thereafter we will allow for some questions. Thank you, Peter. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, we're going to talk through a little bit of what's happening in insurance and the future of insurance um, over the next 45 minutes. Um, I'm actually going to probably do about half of the talking because actually a lot of the, um, the presentation are video clips from um, some re global research that we've done. And a lot of times they say it much better than I could ever say it. Um, so I'm sure you'll, you'll bear with me as we, we go through those um, things. The, the key thing about insurance, I think, is like everything in the world, uh, it's changing. Um, if you're involved in whatever industry you're involved in in the world at the, at the moment, you will find that things are changing. And the insurance industry is uh, no different from anywhere else. I, um, I have a nephew um, who is about 22 years old, lives in, in San Francisco, works in the tech industry. And I was talking to him recently. And you know, he was saying things to me like, um, I don't think I'll ever own a car in my life. I don't see the point of owning a car. Now, that's quite a foreign concept for me because um, I own a car, I like my car, I can't imagine not owning a car. Um, but he's grown up in an era that it makes no sense for him to own a car. In fact, he can, if he feels like he needs to rent one, he can rent one and use it, but why would he want to spend money and locking up capital in a car? So the mindset is very different um, in the world, and that is coming into insurance as well. We have a generation now asking questions of why do I have to work that way? Why can't I live in that city and live in someone else's house or drive somebody else's car? Why do I have to own things? Why do I have to have you know, this single linear career as opposed to experience what it's like in life sciences and then be an artist? It's really challenging every aspect. So there's no doubt that uh, things are changing and that we are thinking about things differently. There's no doubt about that at all in my mind. Um, and one of the things is, I think a lot of things that when we talk to clients, a lot of clients say to us, yes, the insurance industry is changing, but I have a big business that's already um, working in a particular way. And how do I just give that up? Um, can I give that up? 
Um, and I think one of the things that we want to think about and what we're saying is um, you do need to start thinking about doing things differently because the, there is a lot of things happening um, in the industry and actually in the world uh, which are going to force you to do things differently otherwise. Um, and it's not about doing one or the other. In fact, I think it is about uh, maintaining our existing businesses and actually continuing to do what we've been doing in the past to a certain extent while we also change, recognizing that if we don't change, um, we will probably be obsolete in the future. Uh, and you can see this, the, the amount of change that's coming through in various industries, the speed and the magnitude of change uh, is just so much more different today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and we are needing to change, there's no question uh, about that. And one of the things that we did is, um, if you were here at the convention last year, it would have been in Cape Town last year, we would have, you would have seen that we showed a research project that we did in South Africa that uh, looked at um, what is changing in the insurance industry, and we interviewed a number of key industry players in South Africa, um, futurists, and various other people. And they gave us some insights in terms of what was, doing, what was going to happen. Well, that took so much traction in our group that we actually decided to then roll this out on a global basis. Um, and, and so we did a global research project talking to a variety of players, uh, industry players, CEOs, clients of ours, non-clients of ours. Um, and as you can see, we went to nine different cities. Um, we have over 100 hours of video footage, uh, and we've edited that down into an hour-long movie. And you're going to see 20-odd clips, you've seen one of them already, of people that we've interviewed um, today. And I think it is quite a profound, uh, interesting uh, result that we've ended up with in terms of uh, what we have actually found out. Um, we've, we interviewed a lot of people in the industry. Um, we also interviewed people outside the industry but involved in the tech industry. Um, so you'll see um, there are actually people that we interviewed that were involved, for instance, in the founding, that were the founders of Siri. Um, if you have an Apple iPhone, you'll know what Siri is. Um, and so we actually got people outside of, of the, the general uh, insurance industry and looked at and got their input as well, which I think was quite useful. So I want to start off today by just saying how are we as an industry doing in the in this epoch of change. What are we doing, and how are we doing things? We as an industry have lost the trust of our consumers. Insurance comes below banking. <laughs> that just makes me my blood boil because uh, what have we done to deserve that? We, you know, if you think about what the the bankers of the world have done to the world over the last ten years, and and yet still we're less trusted as an industry than than banks, then we've really lost our way. The way we've looked at the world through actuarial risk management, product design and distribution, those sort of building blocks, it's fundamentally changing. So the world is changing. Um, people are telling us, people inside our industry are telling us that. Um, and actually, there is lots of measurement about this even in, in our world today. Um, so if you look at how we're doing as an insurance industry, and I don't think it's just in South Africa, I think this applies across the, uh, the world, um, we're actually pretty slow to adopt new technologies uh, and to um, bring new things into our businesses. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, there's a survey that's done um, and now annually, and, and it's a, produced as a supplement to the Times newspaper in London. Um, and that survey asks a whole variety of things, and this is one of the, the things that comes out of that survey. Um, and it looks at the question of how we as insurers are doing versus how we are doing against the banking industry. 
Uh, and if you have a look at the various different categories that we have here, and every single one of them, um, the insurance industry is lagging significantly behind uh, the banking industry. And that, if I you know, look at that, I'm getting, I get concerned because I say, actually, we're going to get left behind. Somebody else is going to enter our space and take our space. Um, we are very slow to engage um, in comparison to other industries, even other industries in the financial services um, space. So what are the signs of the new era that we are facing uh, in the insurance arena? Well, the first sign is, and there are about six or seven of them that we'll go through, um, but there's no doubt for me that, that we are in an exponential age. Things are changing at an exponential speed. A lot of the technology companies talk about is 10 times thinking. Well, if you look at our industry, we talk about very happy with a business plan that's plus 10%, plus 10%. You know, that's, that's, the way, that's the way our industry thinks. I think we have to think 10 times thinking, and that requires rethinking on a scale that's not about what an individual company does, but what's about how does our industry sector as a whole operate. That's what's going to challenge providers, distributors, regulators, and reinsurers. If you improve your performance linearly, you actually fall behind exponentially, right? In exponential times, if as things move away from you, if you just think, hey, things are going better and better, but you're staying on course, you fall behind exponentially. At some point, you're actually just falling off the cliff, even though it felt great, right? Think BlackBerry, boom, right? BlackBerry grew tremendously after the, the iPhone came in, right? But the world was moving away from them. So they were on this trajectory, and they didn't understand they were on a going out of business trajectory. In the old days, the going out of business trajectory looked like that. Today, it looks like this. So I think we are definitely uh, an industry that thinks about um, just 10% onto our business plan. We don't think about exponential in that sense at all. And hopefully that example of BlackBerry uh, against the iPhone gives us a good sense of what we might be facing um, into the future. The other the second thing that we would notice and we noticed from our research is that there is a significant difference by region. And in particular, there's this S triangle or this yes triangle um, between um, the three places with an S in their name, not surprisingly, Sydney, Shanghai, and San Francisco. Uh, and they are moving at a different pace to the rest of the world. There's no question about that. It was interesting, even our global researcher who did our project for us um, just noted just on an incidental level in terms of um, just how they do things in the city and that those three cities uh, just moved at a different pace in comparison to other places. Um, insurers in, in Europe, um, I think they look at innovation mainly from a perspective of threat, while in Asia it's more the perspective of an opportunity, uh, which, is, which is really, really interesting, right? So there's the, the key question. We, we showed this movie to our office in Germany and that was like everybody was bolt upright when they said that because um, in, in fact that is probably one of the things that Europeans will identify with. They're actually looking and saying um, actually it's about protecting ourselves, not about the innovation to actually change and be successful uh, in the change. The third aspect um, is that of data. Um, there's no doubt that um, we all would say that data is going to be an important part of our business going forward. Um, one of the interesting things is if you look at insurance companies, 90% uh, of data has been generated between 2015 and today, um, of all data generated. 
Um, so the rest of it is 10%. Um, one of our guys in our US office um, talks about the, 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 the measurement of it, and he talks about a quantillion. I don't know if you know what a quantillion is, um, but I, I'd never heard of it until I'd heard him speaking about it. The quantity of data is enormous. Um, but one of the things that we as an insurance industry are really bad at is using our data. Um, at the moment, only 1% of the data that we have is actually used. Uh, I'm also um, on the board of directors of a bank, and um, one of the things that staggered me about um, the bank was how, well the, how much data they've got and how well they use their data. It is light years ahead of insurance companies. Um, and it really made me sit up and think and realize um, we've got to do something in our industry if we're going to be serious about staying competitive in the future. The fourth thing is um, there is this convergence between mobile technology, robotic technology, um, the platforms that we're using, and actually a move from visual to audio. Um, so you would probably know that there um, are these devices now where you can just speak into things and get whatever you want. Um, it has its downsides. Um, I believe in the UK, many people who were using um, the Amazon one um, wondered why they were all suddenly getting a lot of toilet paper delivered. Um, and um, apparently it picked up um, that um, when somebody said we run out of toilet paper in the house and then just put an order through to Amazon and delivered the toilet paper to them. So it has its downsides. But, um, but we're moving to an age where all of these things are coming together into um, one particular um, help, really, for us as an industry. And the question is, how, how does that apply? How does that affect us as an insurance industry? Weixin在中国的使用的这个面普及面非常之高。它正好是跟我们这个微信的这种方式呢，有一个很好的一个契合。呃，它是第一个，它不仅是一个交互的一个平台，同时呢，它是可以有实时支付的功能，也能够引入视频的直播。那么这个不仅是对所有年龄段，
of creating an appointment with Siri or Alexa or any of these other like Google Home. Um, it's actually really simple. So things are, are moving to much more connected. Um, it used to be that only a very few amount of people had access to computing power. Supercomputers of yesterday were only available to very few with significant funds, right? And then we got, you know, personal computing power and that circle enlarged. And then we got mobile computing power and again, the circle enlarged. But something else significant happened, which is that it wasn't just that the circle enlarged, but that those who reached mobile computing technology didn't ever have a supercomputer or a personal computer, right? So we can't think of it as an extension of a market, but rather the creation of an entirely new market. And that, that requires not an extension of banking services and products or insurance products, but actually the creation of an entirely new model to serve this segment of customers and the jobs that they need to get done. One of the key things, um, we actually had somebody who said this in our, our um, interviews last year in the South African one as well. Um, when you start looking at the availability of computing power, in fact, most of us have got the same amount of power in our pockets and our iPhones um, as the president of America. He also doesn't really have anything different from you. You have access to the same level of technology. Um, and that requires us, and it's opened up a new market, but it requires us to deal with things and think about things differently um, than in the past. It is also moving away from us owning everything. I, I think the traditional model, particularly in business, has been, you know, let's put everything together under one umbrella and call that a company and we will move forward on that basis. And we don't necessarily, we want to own it. We don't want to work with people. Um, but one of the things that's definitely happening is uh, if there's a movement now to, to co-creation uh, and not, not working just by yourself in your own particular company, but actually co-creating with other people. The industry is starting to realize it's time for change too. And that's why even on the VC perspective, you could see how the number of investments are raising. And on the startup scene, you could see how many more startups are starting to focus on insurance and pivoting from other industries into InsurTech. And InsurTech wasn't even a buzzword a few years ago, but it is now. So that's one of the interesting things is, um, in 2015, I had two meetings with InsurTech Fintechs. In 2016, uh, I, I counted the other day, I had about 32 meetings with InsurTech and Fintechs. Um, and certainly prior, prior to 2015, I'd never heard the word or said the word InsurTech or Fintech before. Um, this is just a simple Google search. So if you go onto um, Google, you can get stats off in terms of, of people um, searching for particular words. And you can see there are two spellings of InsurTech, so you just need to add the two together and you can put, I'm sure, given your actuaries, you can put those two graphs together in your mind. Um, but you can see it's just going up through the roof. Um, and again, it started at about 2015, so um, suddenly we've got a whole new industry in the InsurTech and FinTech area, um, which is doing something totally different. And those people actually find it quite easy to raise capital. We have a client in the UK that has just um, launched and they raised 180 million pounds of capital. I saw their business plan, it was a pretty much one pager, um, and they managed to raise 180 million pounds of capital. Um, with a one-page business plan. 
Uh, there's a lot of money going into insurtechs uh, and fintechs. Um, just last year alone, uh, that's the number 1.6 billion um, that went into insurtechs and fintechs. Most of that's in the US. You see 58% of it's in the US. Uh, but it's also increasing significantly. It's not slowing down. That was the increase from 2015 to 2016. So we've got a, a substantial amount of money going into um, these businesses who effectively are not trying to necessarily compete with insurance companies, uh, but are offering some kind of service um, or wanting to work with the insurance industry. The next trend that you can see currently is that there's definitely this um, mashing or meshing with um, machine and myself. Uh, again, last year, if you came along to the presentation that we did last year, you would have heard um, somebody talking about the MECO system, which is um, it's the ecosystem which is centered on me. Uh, and so you think about it, when you want to go buy something, you don't want to actually go to a shop anymore. You prefer to sit at your computer and get the item sent to you. Um, so that's my preferred mechanism of shopping. If I'm wanting something, I go onto Amazon or take a lot or whatever it might be, and I get the thing sent to me. I don't have to go to the shop anymore. Um, the ecosystem is centered on me. Uh, and that's really is what we're talking about here. It's this combination of using technology uh, and myself centered on me. And people are saying um, in relation to that, and again, this comes from the same server that was published in the Times newspaper earlier this year, um, that actually consumers are prepared to engage and give information about themselves if they can get benefit uh, for that information. So uh, you think about it, you probably do this every day. Um, if you look at the weather, I looked at the weather this morning on the way um, here. I opened my app and it asked me, can I use your location? I said yes. Um, it used my location and it gave me the weather for Santon um, because that's sort of interest. I've given them something. I've given them a piece of my information, which is where I'm, I'm, I'm at currently. And in return, they gave me a piece of information, what the weather is in Santon. And um, so that's what we prepare to do, and we do that on a regular basis. Well, actually, our consumers are telling us that they will be happy to share information about themselves that could be very useful for an insurance company purposes um, if we can give them something back in return. Um, and again, it's this, uh, this engagement um, piece. And actually, if you look at the numbers, they're pretty high, um, particularly things like prepared to share health data. More than 50% of people were saying they're prepared to share their health data if they could get some benefit back from an insurance company. Nike, for example, that used to just sell us products, right, hardware. But by having an app like Nike Plus, for example, by having Nike Running Club uh, and allowing you to co-produce or co-innovate which kind of shoes perfectly fit you, all of a sudden they're finding that the digital software is selling more of the hardware and they're fundamentally invested in your own self-actualization or climbing of Maslow's needs hierarchy. Technology is showing that it can solve the trust issue better in most cases than brands and history and even regulators. So things are changing. There's definitely signs of a new era taking place. And the question is, what's happening now in our industry? What is actually going on in our industry as we... So I heard one of the CEOs of one of Australia's largest broking houses here last week say, 
we'll never move away from the high-touch human model. And I thought, oh, dear, okay, yeah, you're going to be in trouble because you'll need to because companies like us will replace that high-touch human-to-human interaction using machines and we will make the whole thing more efficient. That's quite interesting. So she was talking about um, particularly intermediated products and how intermediated products can actually be moved um, now away from uh, a human interaction to actually a computer uh, or a machine giving advice. And you think about it in our industry, um, we have financial advisors. Um, the subset of information available to financial advisors, there's only a limited number of options. Um, and therefore, that must be programmable. Uh, so if you look at all the financial information that you are given from a particular person, you can make certain deductions, and from those deductions you can recommend what kind of investments, insurance, etc., is needed by a particular person. Uh, that can easily be programmed now, and it can be programmed much more consistently to give more consistent advice um, than a person can. Uh, and so therefore that's, that's got to be under threat um, in the future. The insurance industry, I think, is still believing that we, we believe things are changing. So if you have a look at these stats, um, in fact, all three of those are pretty high percentages and basically saying, um, yes, we need to change. Yes, we need to engage with new things. Um, but actually, when you push a little bit in terms of the detail, and we did a global survey uh, on predictive analytics and asking insurance companies who's using pre predictive analytics for your business on your data, um, the interesting thing here is that the high proportion, the 40-odd percent proportion of people um, saying we would like to use it, but actually we don't have the data or it's not a, we don't have the money or it's not a priority for us to do it. So on the one hand, we're all convinced that the industry is changing, um, but on the other hand, we're not prepared to put our money where our mouths is and actually use that money um, to actually change the way that we do things and think about things differently. So we're definitely caught in this, um, in this period at the moment as an insurance industry globally of sort of feeling like we have to change, but not sure we really want to change, um, is my sense. So the question is, how do we change? How do we move towards this new world? How do we actually um, move from where we are currently? Uh, and people keep on asking us this question. And it is a significant shift that needs to take place. I don't think it's a small thing. Um, I think it is going to be something that is going to require a fairly significant shift. If you're focused on improving existing products, then you're going to quickly lose the race because the race is being run around jobs that need to get done. And that means that you have to understand not the customer, but the job that that customer needs to get done or wants to get done. And, th and therefore you need to innovate based on that, not on an existing product or on a customer in need or past data. So we're pretty good at using past data for doing things. Um, the question is, are we good at identifying what the customer wants and delivering that? And I suspect that's something we are not that good at um, up, up, to, up to now. So we do need to um, change the way that we do things. And that slide says at the bottom, the need to reimagine life insurance. It actually could just say the need to reimagine insurance because we have to think about things differently um, than where we were in the past. Currently, the insurance industry is a what-if industry. What if something were happened to your car? What if something were happened to your health? What if you lost your job? We believe that over time, it could become a so-how industry. So how do I live a better life? So how do I avoid that risk? So how can I edit my child's genes so that he can actually live a typically developing child's life? So how, so how, so how? As soon as we make the transition from a what if 
business proposition to us, so how? We're really redefining where risk products can play a role. So we need to move from a, a what if to a so how. I, I think that's one of, probably one of the best clips in terms of summarizing what we need to do as an industry. Uh, and it is a repositioning of the industry that we need uh, to think about. Uh, and actually, I think it's a fantastic thing. We often complain about uh, the fact that insurance is a grudge purchase and people don't want to buy insurance and people only buy it because they have to buy it. Um, but we have a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here actually to reposition ourselves um, to actually become a life-enabling industry, to give and to, for, for us to be thinking in that sense rather than thinking in the sense of it's a grudge purchase. And we really do have an opportunity um, to make that change. We have to move from dealing with, um, dealing with fixing the problem once it's happened to helping people make better choices in their day-to-day -day life that prevent things and enable them to live more confidently in their day-to-day -day life. If we're fulfilling a need like that, I can see that there's a, there's a reason for them to interact with a, with a provider. So we definitely need to, to change. We need to be thinking about a whole variety of things. I, I met with a, a CEO of one of the large insurance companies in the UK relatively recently, um, and one of the things we were talking to them about was this whole sort of change of digital and um, what needs to change in terms of, uh, of our businesses. Um, and he, he looked at myself and one of my colleagues who was with me and said, um, we don't need to change. Um, we are fully engaged in digital and already a fully digital business. Uh, we don't need to change at all. Um, I walked out of the meeting and in the lift going down with my colleague, fortunately there was nobody else from the company in the lift with us, I said, um, if I own shares in that company, I would sell that company's shares immediately. Um, because if that's what the CEO is saying, I suspect they ain't going to be in business for much longer. Um, it's, we definitely have to change as an industry. And I think if we um, feel that we don't have to change, um, it's a significant uh, problem for us. And I think there are a whole lot of things that we need to do, and uh, we've put some thoughts down in terms of, of things that we, we need to think about when we look at a changing economy, a changing environment, and a changing um, world that we work in. And so the first one is that people's employment patterns are changing. And so if you've never heard of the words giggers, slashers um, before, um, they're not partiers and people that um, randomly urinate on the sidewalk. Um, they, they are actually people's employment um, changing patterns. Um, and, and so we need to be thinking about it. So if you think about in the group space, and particularly for those of us who work in group insurance, um, the question is we provide group covers generally for people who are full-time employment and are part of a formal uh, group scheme. But what do we do for people who are in these sort of categories, who are not permanent in terms of their staff members? How, do we, how are, we, are we providing insurance coverage for these people who are changing their jobs regularly or running multiple jobs at one point in time? People are not wanting um, to pay a regular monthly premium anymore. Um, I, I've just, I was talking to a friend of ours the other day and he was saying, look, he just doesn't understand the point of having to pay every month for an insurance policy. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to pay when he wants to pay. Um, and, and again, that's sort of a foreign thought to us. I mean, my initial thought immediately is, um, actually, I can't, I, you know, I can't sort of put that into my paradigm of thinking when it comes to monthly premium calculations. Um, but that's what our consumers are saying. They don't want to have that, that sort of constraint anymore. So what are we doing about doing those sort of things differently? Um, there's going to be um, redundancies because of robots. Um, are we providing unemployment cover for that? Um, just you know, random thoughts in terms of things that we could be 
doing differently um, in the future. How inclusive are we in terms of, of our insurance premiums? There are billions of people that are not yet covered and haven't been covered for a very long period of time. Um, how do we extend the range of what we offer to make sure that those people uh, are benefiting from what we offer? Uh, and how do we do that going into the future? Um, there are new technologies which we're not embracing yet. The whole issue of blockchain, it's, it's a, quite a, a buzzword in terms of using blockchain, but, but there's got to be advantages for us as an insurance industry in terms of using that sort of technology, uh, and yet we've been very slow to embrace it and use it. Uh, and then there, there must be great benefits um, to be gained for us as an insurance industry as we look at those sort of technologies. And then we have to move to this basis of being able to partner with people and not doing things on our own. Uh, I think we've been an industry that's quite isolated in a sense um, and hasn't really been looking at opportunities to do things elsewhere. Uh, the number one problem that a lot of our champions have inside of these corporates is the business unit integration, which that requires the cultural change. The big corporates are playing chess, the startups are playing checkers. They're two different games. It's not like one side has to come here and the other side moving here. It's meeting in the middle ground. It's that both sides have to you know, make a move and an effort to understand each other. The biggest challenge for big financial services companies is to iterate and innovate within the confines of regulatory and brand constraints. So if you're trying to iterate and you're using your own brand, you run a significant risk of damaging your brand if you release something to the market that's not perfect. This is why collaboration with small players, specifically startups, provides a huge window of opportunity to big companies because they can test ideas with small companies without having to take on the risk of having it damage their brand if something goes wrong. Furthermore, big companies are great at scaling things, but they're not great at creating them. And small companies are great at creating things, but they're not really good at scaling them. So this is the whole thing about the co-creation, that we really need to be working um, together, that actually the, the games that we are playing are in different spheres. The, the, the previous speaker um, used the analogy of one playing chess and the other one playing checkers, which I think is a great, um, a great analogy. Uh, and we actually we could be playing in a similar field and actually a news field um, and benefiting from, um, from that as well, from both of us. So the, the question really comes down to it in the end is what are we going to do as an insurance industry and I, I believe it actually requires us to think very carefully um, about changing the way that we behave and the way that we think. Um, if we don't do that I suspect we, our relevance will become less and less over time uh, and, and, I, and certainly from the research that we've done that's exactly what we've seen as well. We've seen that the, everybody's in the industry and outside the industry is telling us the same thing. And um, that actually we do need to make In this changes. exponential world, if you are not certain whether you're the wolf, then sadly you are the sheep, right? If you, the wolf is a territorial creature. And if you do not understand that your territory has shifted like Blackberry, and you start to say, wait a minute, what is the new territory? It's smartphones, it's screens that are, you know, interactable. Then you're all of a sudden the sheep. Blackberry became a sheep. And so the capacity to see a signal, to define it as a new territory, that you can again be in a somewhat dominating and dominant role, a wolf kind of role, is really fundamental to the success of an enterprise. 
So the question is, uh, is the company that you work for or the company you're responsible for, are you the wolf or are you the sheep? Um, I suspect that uh, a lot of us is a little bit of nervous laughter. Uh, a lot of us sometimes think that we probably are the sheep. Uh, and, and I think it's a great analogy and a great challenge for us to think about what, is it need to be, what needs to change in order for us um, to actually survive going into the future. Uh, I think a number of things need to happen. People often ask me the question when we, we're talking, you know, what, what, are the, what do you think as a reinsurer do you think needs to change in the industry? And one of the things that I think needs to change is actually we, we have to rethink a number of things, including we need to rethink the regulation of our industries. Um, we, we get regulated, our regulators um, try to, to put regulations in place to make sure that our consumers are protected. Um, and the danger I think that we're going to now is that there's a possibility that actually the regulations that we have are actually not going to protect the consumers. Uh, they're actually going to potentially damage the consumers in the long run. Um, because if you've got these sort of changes taking place and your regulator's not thinking about what's coming down the line, um, there's a good chance that actually somebody from another industry could just change the landscape entirely um, and make your regulator and your industry almost invalid. So I think we have to be engaging with our regulators to say we need to think about how do we regulate, in particular when we're coming to designing new products and thinking about the management of our industry. Um, we have to be thinking about it from a company perspective. We have to be thinking about it from an industry's perspective um, if, if we're going to survive. Every organization, no matter where you are in the value chain to the customer, this is a real bull by the horns moment where, you know, if you miss this window, then someone else is going to be dragging you. So it is a bulls by the horn moment. Um, the question is, you know, what are we going to do about it as an industry? Um, what is going to change? How are we going to change it? And we are responsible for that change. Um, I'm happy to take any questions. I want to say that um, the result of actually our research has got to um, producing an hour video. Um, we, the clips that you've seen are from that hour video. Um, it is, I think, a very high quality piece of work in terms of the way it's been put together um, from a thought process perspective. And it actually covers a whole lot of other things which I wasn't able to cover today. Um, but it does cover a whole lot of other aspects of our industry and how we should be thinking about our industry. And um, particularly things like blockchain and, and the technologies around blockchain and what that could mean for us in our, in our industry. If you're interested in seeing that video, we are quite happy to make sure that you get an invite to come in and see it. Um, you can email us at reception.africa at genry.com. So that's reception.africa at genry.com. Uh, or give us one of your business cards. You can give it to myself or anybody else from Genry. They'll be very happy to make sure um, that we, we get uh, you along to be able to see the video. I think it's, I've watched it four times now. And um, every time I watch it, um, it actually still reminds me of other things that we need to be doing as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I trust you found that informative and helpful, and I'll be happy to take any questions. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, I will then go around the room and just check if there are any questions. I've prepared seven of my own, so I think we'll have no problem with questions. We still have about 23 minutes to the session, so there's plenty of time um, to, for Peter to answer questions that the floor may have. Okay, maybe I'll start with one. Sure. Okay, the Chief Innovation Officer at Midlife, Zia Zaman, spoke about how insurance needs to evolve away from answering the question, what if, to answering the question, so how? And I think for life insurance in particular, I guess the key question is, is this an impossible utopia given the societal environment we live in? Is this just not kind of, you know, the musings of the out of touch 1%? 
Well, I'm hoping they're not, um, and not the least of which the guy who actually said it on the video works for a company that's a life insurance company, MetLife, so um, I, I don't think it is. I mean, I, th I think the reality is um, if we don't change um, the way that we think and the way that we operate, um, I think we are going to get left behind in this environment. And, and you can see it actually through a whole variety of things. If you consider all the other industries and things that are changing in other industries, um, it's not a dissimilar question actually to what has been asked and what has been put to other industries. Um, you think of the taxi industry in Uber, for instance. Um, it's, it's a very similar question. Um, actually, it's something, you know, what, what, is, what has Uber done? Well, it's made it much easier for me to get a ride from one place to another um, when I'm in a foreign city. I don't know how taxis always work. Um, it's just made it much easier. It's answering my consumer problem rather than um, answering the problem of a transport solution. Um, and it's exactly the same with us. Um, we, as an industry, um, we are answering our own problems. And we are not necessarily answering our consumer problems. Um, so if you go talk to consumers, one of the things that they will talk about often is um, how they want to protect their wealth for future generations. Um, and the question is, how do we do that with an insurance product? Um, at the moment, we sometimes do it with insurance products and sometimes we don't. But we don't really have a really integrated solution to how we can help people from a family perspective protect their family's wealth going into the future. So I, I don't think it's a 1% um, question. I suspect it's a 99% question. Um, and if we don't solve that, if we don't answer it, um, we're probably not going to be relevant in future. Okay. Yes. Okay. There's a question there and there's another question in the front. So after that, we'll take the question in the front. Sure. Um, can you maybe talk about some other industries other than the insurance industry, maybe like water fields, telecommunications? What are you, I can talk about lots of things, but... <laughs> no, well, and, and the disruption they're facing. So something, for example, we're seeing in telecommunications is um, our competitors in the future are not necessarily other, telco, other uh, telcos, but um, the likes of Google, Facebook, those sorts of things. So also how companies are all zoning in on similar things, maybe. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, um, just this week we had one of our insurance, uh, or last week one of our insurance CEOs um, resigned from um, the insurance uh, CEO of Outsurance and to go and work for a data company. Um, and if you look at what they're going to do, um, the data company basically is going to run um, telephone systems. They reckon that all telephone systems will be run over data lines in future, so why would you need a telephone company? Um, so so these, these challenges are definitely there for, for most industries. Um, I think some people like Google in particular, I mean, they did look at the insurance industry and, um, and they decided against it. And the reason they decided against getting involved in it at the moment is because uh, of the regulation of the industry. Um, I, I think they would bring a different mindset in terms of the industry, um, in terms of how we do things, because they, they would do things differently. But, but I, think the, I think the reality is these companies are looking for, um, for opportunities to apply their skills in any, in any industry, really. Um, and we're just seeing some, somewhat of it uh, in the insurance industry and the fintech industry. Thank you, Peter. There's a question in front here. Hi, Peter. Thank you for the talk. My name is Memory. Um, do you think the reason why we are so slow to change, um, particularly in South Africa and maybe even in Europe, is because insurance companies feel like regulation protects them in terms of causing a barrier to entry for new 
uh, innovations, uh, as is the case, like for example, Mpesa was is very successful, but in South Africa, because of the regulations, it hasn't uh, taken off. Uh, yeah, look, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think regulations can be protective of the industry um, from an innovation perspective. Um, I, I think that is, um, th there's no doubt that that's happened. Uh, I, I think what will happen is, particularly with insurtechs and fintechs coming into the industry, that a lot less um, of that will happen going into the future because the, a lot of what they're doing is outside of the regulation space. It's, it's not actually in a regulated space that they are doing things. And as they work in a non-regulated space, um, they are going to change things whether we like it or not. Um, and I think that is the real risk for us um, from, from an industry perspective. I mean, the South African industry is quite innovative. Um, there's no doubt about that. I think we're probably one of the more innovative insurance industries um, around the world. If you, I, I do a reason on a travel, so I, I, I know what the rest of the industries are like. And I think we're more innovative than the American insurance industry, probably. Um, so that, you know, that's a, a key thing for me, is that we are an innovative industry. We, we do have an innovative culture. The question is, um, do we innovate to protect ourselves, um, or do we innovate because we see that there's an opportunity out there going in the future? And I think that's this question about East and West, is which side are we um, as South Africans? Are we, are we part of the, the, the European side where actually we're innovating to protect ourselves, or are we innovating because we see an opportunity? Um, and I'm hoping that we as an South African insurance industry should be heading for the opportunity side. Okay, thank you. There's a question at the back and another one here in front. Um, hi there. Just hi, Peter. Thanks for the talk. Uh, just a comment from the regulator, Leanne Jackson here, financial. <laughs> I did see you. I did see you sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> no self-defence required, but uh, just uh, maybe a, a word of comfort is that. Um, the whole issue of fintech, including, I had to tell you, regtech, which is the regulator using um, technology to enhance our supervision and regulation abilities, is a key focus area at the moment. I mean, there are high-level um, structures being put in place between ourselves, the Reserve Bank, the Treasury, etc., on fintech forums and looking at how we can ensure regulatory framework can both support innovation and look at risks. On the point of unregulated players, yes, I mean, regulation, I think, by definition, plays catch up most of the time. But also just to bear in mind that the new Financial Sector Regulation Act, as we move into Twin Peaks, changes the perimeter of regulation quite a lot. And it enables us to apply what we jokingly talk about as the duck test. If it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, it should probably be regulated like a duck. And so it does enable us to look at the outcomes of an activity rather than saying it's being done by a bank or it's being done by an insurer, and therefore that makes it financial services. So it's um, very much on our radar. And we are also, as part of the whole process, um, once we move into our new role as the Financial Sector Conduct Authority are looking specifically at creating innovation and incubation type of hub work as well. It's good. Good for our industry if we are so, moving in the right direction. Uh, certainly, I mean, I, I've been talking to regulators other places in the world, um, and again, I think our South African regulators are probably a little bit ahead of um, some of the other regulators around the rest of the world. <coughs> Peter, thank you very much. Um, just from a business model perspective, looking at the sort of changes and the developments from a tech uh, position, do you, do you think the insurance uh, business model could um, lead to sort of a breakup of functions um, 
One of the commentators in your video right in the beginning spoke about us not looking at claims and distribution, etc. And maybe those becoming separate business models altogether as in other industries or other companies. I mean, one of the interesting things that we've seen is particularly when we started to engage with fintechs and insurtechs is um, that they often are not people who are coming in to uh, start a new insurance company with a new digital way of doing things. They have a particular focus of technology in a particular area. So um, we, for instance, have had some engagement with uh, a company that um, is, is able to use telephone technology to tell whether or not you're lying. Um, now that's, um, that's quite powerful if you're in claims and underwriting because you can now have a conversation with the person and the technology will tell you whether or not the, pers the person is giving you the truth or not. So that's a, a, a line of business where you could plug that technology and they're not going to replace the whole of the insurance company, um, but, but certainly they could significantly alter the way we do claims and underwriting. Um, so will it you know, fall part of another company or will there be a company that comes in and provides a particular segment of the insurance value chain? Um, I, th I think that's probably more likely. It's probably more likely that we're going to have um, parties that are going to come in and say, well, actually, I can do that much better than you doing it, um, and let me do it for you. Um, and the question is, I think those people who are prepared to engage with those people um, are going to get a significant value. So you imagine as somebody here, if you're an insurance company, and you can put that technology in tomorrow, um, it gives you a significant head start off of your competitors um, because you know you're getting much more honest answers um, to your underwriting um, technology, uh, your, uh, your underwriting questions. So, so I think it's more likely that, that, that we're not necessarily going to have chunking of business, but I think we're going to have the fintechs and insurtechs coming in and putting uh, various different technologies in between, um, which, will, which will drive things uh, for us differently. Um. Hi there. Uh, thanks for the interesting and I think um, honestly scary presentation. Uh, I, I've been quite impressed by everything that I've been hearing, but uh, one thing I was left lost by was the big words and particularly could you describe what exactly is the scary word called blockchain? <laughs> well, that's another whole presentation in and of itself. Um, so. Um, Blockchain is the technology that's actually used in um, similar to Bitcoin. Um, so it's, it's effectively technology which should enable a lot more trust um, in transactions between people. So from an insurance perspective, um, the blockchain technology actually could be of value, particularly because it's a contract. Um, we enter into a contract with our policyholders. Um, once we enter into that contract, if you know you have a particular type of contract that will never, um, it will always pay out under certain circumstances, you can actually enter into using the blockchain technology um, to actually do um, that contract in a trustless way. So it actually overcomes some of the problems in the insurance industry. One of the problems that we have is consumers don't always trust us. Um, so you, you get to a situation where consumers feel that you're never going to pay the claim, but actually you could probably use blockchain technology to actually persuade them that if under these particular circumstances, you will always pay the claim regardless. Um, but you can come talk to us about it. I, I can introduce you to one of my staff and he can entertain you endlessly about blockchain and give you all the details afterwards. I'll be more than happy to do that. Uh, thanks for an interesting presentation, Peter. Um, earlier on, you mentioned that we need to both hold on while we reach out. Um, I think our 
as humans, we tend to hold on to what we know and what we know works, and we know how traditional insurance works. It's worked in the past. So my question is, how do we change our mindset to reach out more, uh, particularly um, seeing that insurance is, is all about risk aversion and it tends to um, attract people that are risk averse. How do we embrace change? So that's not a unique problem. So you imagine if you were working at BlackBerry, um, I suspect that that problem was the same problem that BlackBerry had. Um, you know, they needed to change um, and they probably had a whole lot of people said, look, actually our business is going fine. It's going this way, as the guy said on, on the presentation. Um, it's going up, it's growing, and even though the iPhone comes out, um, it's still going and still growing. Um, but the reality is that trajectory was actually going out of business trajectory. Um, and it required them to have some degree of commitment. Uh, and certainly people, I mean, I remember reading and thinking about BlackBerry at the time it was happening, and I was thinking, they surely have to change. Um, and I was outside the industry. Um, and the, the same thing applies to us. Uh, it is firstly and first and foremost a realization that actually the industry and the world is changing uh, and therefore we have to change. And if you're not committed to yourself to change, um, I can't imagine that you're going to be able to do something to change if you're not committed to the change. So I, I think it does require us to believe that actually there's a necessity to change and if you have a belief that there's a necessity to change, you will change. Um, I think that's uh, the, the fundamental thing. Any other questions? Okay. John? Uh, Peter, um, the, the question I would ask in the insurtech, fintech startups, what kind of payback periods are their investors asking for? Because I think our experience in, in a large corporate is that when you start talking about innovation, you get your shareholders thrown back at you and they want a particular return next year. And if we can go to them with a message that our competitors, the competitors of the future are expecting a payback in five years time, that it's worth making an investment now that maybe the market is not going to love in your latest annual report, but when you're still in business in five years' time, they'll, they'll quite appreciate it. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer because I, I, I suspect some of the, the businesses and the business I mentioned earlier on, um, the 180 million pound business, um, I actually, as I said, I saw their business plan and it had no payback period in it. Um, now, my, my, I'm a risk averse and, and I look there and I think, would I put my personal money into this business with no payback period and put 180 million in? And the answer is probably not. Um, but there are lots of people out there who are prepared to do, take that risk. So I think a lot of people out there today in, in the capital environment are actually basically saying, look, actually, we're not really that worried about the payback period because when we hit it with the right investment, with the right company, um, my one rand is going to be worth 100 million rand um, that I'm putting into this business. Um, so they prepare to put in you know, a whole lot of one rands into 20, 30 different businesses, knowing that they're going to hit one of those businesses is going to hit the 100 million rand. Um, so I think a lot of people are, le are a lot less um, interested in payback periods today than they are in the likelihood of success. Um, and I think that's the, the, the crux of it. So unfortunately I can't answer the, uh, the, the payback period question. 
Hi, thank you very much uh, for the talk. I was still wondering if you had any thoughts on how the, um, the infrastructure regarding uh, the internet and uh, particularly data in South Africa could affect um, the, the way that insurance companies move forward. For example, the, the problems you have with prices of data in South Africa uh, compared to the rest of the world, if you uh, think that might have any impact on how uh, South African insurers in particular could move forward using this kind of technology. Look, I mean, I, I have no doubt that if um, data prices were lower, um, people would use things more, you know, so it's, it'd be more engaging. Um, and it would be easier for us as an industry to engage more. But I, I think what will happen is that the pricing of data will come down. Um, I have no doubt about that. So, um, and you think, you know, even the, the accessibility to the technology, the one guy, the one speaker made the point about the fact that most people in this country have got a mobile phone in their pocket. They don't own a personal computer back at home. Um, so you're not going to engage with them through their personal computer. You're going to engage with them through their mobile phone. Uh, and they already have that. Um, it might be a little bit expensive for them to do it now, but that's going to come down over time. So if we're not thinking about, you know, how do we engage with those people through the process, I think it'll be a lot harder for us um, in the future. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just, I think it's just going to accelerate things. So as the price comes down, it will accelerate things more and more. I mean, you just think about how much you do through your mobile phone already and think back 10 years ago and think how much you did through your mobile phone 10 years ago. Um, I, it's, you know, I can pretty much do everything I want to do these days through my mobile phone. And I, you know, I probably don't worry that much about the price of data, and probably none of us sitting here do. But, um, but I think what will happen is, is that it will eventually get down um, to a reasonable price that other people will engage. Any other questions? I have one quickly. One. I think the MD of Think gave an example of how the Nike app, um, or Nike uses its app to improve the technology in their shoes and also drive sales, thereby using software to sell more hardware. And I think there are several examples of this in the health insurance space in short term, but do you see any of these examples maybe in reinsurance and others of the wider fields, private banking or private equity banking, capital projects? So I, um, in the reinsurance space, I mean, that's obviously my field, so in the reinsurance space, um, I think it's a lot harder. I mean, one of the things that we sell in the reinsurance space is, um, is, is access to knowledge, um, I think, a lot of times. So in a sense, we, we're probably doing a little bit of it, and we have done it. I think the successful reinsurers have done that in the past anyway. Uh, and I think that's probably the role that we have to play, I mean, particularly in this changing environment um, with regards to fintechs and suretechs. Um, we, we do see a lot of these. Um, so as I said to you, I had 32 meetings with insuretechs and fintechs last uh, year. And, and while I'm unlikely to invest in any of them um, or uh, engage with them in that way, I think I can bring them to the insurance space to actually, um, in a sense, make them a product. Um, and they become the hardware, um, really, for, for, our, um, for our side of things. So that's, I think, certainly in the insurance space. Um, I think they, there is no doubt there's engagement with that. And I think if you look at the, the other environments, investments, banking, um, life insurance, um, I think some people are already starting to think along this way. So uh, you have a look at some of the life insurers. I think they really are trying to engage with you through a piece of software um, much more aggressively and actively than they have in the past. So you talked about healthcare, but I, I think you know, there are people in the life insurance space that are doing it now as well. Um, so it's, it's definitely, there's a move um, from that perspective. Any other final questions? 
Okay. So just again, if you're wanting to see the full video, we'd be more than happy to um, engage with you and, and show that to you. Um, send an email to reception.africa.genry.com um, and we'll organize, um, we'll give you, give you the details of when we're going to be showing the full video as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, let's give him a round of applause. Uh, thank you very much to everybody. I'd like to just remind you to please rate um, Peter through the app, uh, and we'll close the session. Thank you very much.